God did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you, God's people, might always fear the Lord your God. Hey everyone, and uh, welcome to Kingsmead service for Sunday the 6th of February. Today our opening prayer will be from Nikki, and uh, after that we'll have the ever-energetic Sean Doyle with a really awesome message. Hope you all enjoy it.
very extended pre-prolegomena uh, to what we're going to talk about today. And I learned a long time ago in Bible college that the mind can only absorb what the seat can endure. So would you mind standing and stretching for just a brief second so that we can get the blood flowing back to the brain and, and we'll, we'll lock in. So there's a lot to take in that you saw geographically and whatnot. Uh, thank you for sharing that. That was new to me. Have a seat. So we are going through the book of Joshua together. Uh, my, my, each time I'm with you, we go through another passage. It's going to take us most of the year because I'm here about once a month. And today we're going to be looking at the subject of followership. Followership. In fact, I've called the sermon Followership 101. Like we're taking an introductory course on the subject. And I want you to think back to the New Testament before we get to the Old. And think about when Jesus called people to himself. What did he most often say to those people? What was the introduction, the invitation? Well, to Peter and Andrew, Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. To Matthew, the tax collector, hated by his countrymen, sitting at his booth of, of oppression, Jesus said, follow me, follow me. Uh, to the crowds in, in John 10, Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And that was a hostile crowd that wanted to stone it. And still he said, follow me. So you can find many other examples of this, but in our time together today, we're going to look at the subject of followership, and it's a passage that sort of radiates and resonates clear instruction on this crucial subject. Um, many times we think about being a Christian leader, but first we are a Christian follower because no leader can take anyone other than to Jesus. That is the only legitimate kind of leading there is in the kingdom of Christ, right? So uh, would you turn in the word of God to Joshua chapter three? We're gonna take this little refresher course on followership 101. Uh, our sister has helped us see a lot of the topography and geography and some of the background. Uh, I'll review a little bit of that, but she's done a, quite an extensive job there. So let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to be together this morning. Thank you for technology. Most of us haven't been to the Holy Land. Um, and so it's helpful to see some of these graphics and things. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would allow your text to jump to life. We believe that your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. It's living and active. And we pray that you would use it today uh, to really awaken us. Uh, we believe that man doesn't live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we pray that Joshua 3 and 4 would, would come to life and then direct our life. Indeed, that we would follow better for having looked at this passage. Please let these principles uh, become the forefront of our thinking this week and perhaps a great course correction in our direction in 2022. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. For the sake of time, I'm going to read the third chapter, a little bit of the fourth, and then we'll, we'll highlight certain things in chapter three and four. In chapter three, the Bible says, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites, they set out from Shittim, and they went to the Jordan River, where they camped before crossing over. And after three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. And then you will know which way to go, since you have not been this way before. 
but keep a distance of a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. And Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant, pass on ahead of the people. And when they took it up and went ahead of them, and the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the ark of the covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's water, you go stand in that river. And Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. God's going to go before them. They're going to see this. Now, when, now then choose 12 men from the 12 tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage. That's really important in our passage. We'll talk about that in a minute. All during the harvest, the barley harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant reached the Jordan and their feet hit the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, where the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Salt Sea, what we call the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed until the whole nation completed the crossing on dry ground. And then there's the thing about the rocks and all that happening in chapter 4. But because of time, I need to abbreviate. Our text today opens with Joshua. Uh, this great leader that we met in our previous times together, called by God in chapter 1 to lead the people of God into the land of God. And here's the rub. So he has one problem. He can't. I mean, physically, he can't. He can't do this. He can't even get his men into the promised land. Why? Because it is the time of the barley harvest. That is in the Jewish month of Nisan, which is different from the month of Mazda and Toyota. Those are totally different, right? Uh, it's in the Jewish month of Nisan. What does that mean? It means that the big snow bank on Mount Hermon is, is melting, and it's releasing a massive amount of water. And the usually quite easy to cross. I mean, most of the year, you can cross the Jordan, no problem, except for the time God told them to do it. Then there was a huge problem. In fact, fording the normally easy Jordan River is utterly impossible at this time of year in their day. You see, the Jordan normally was about five feet deep in the deepest spot you can get across. And, and it was about 100 feet wide in, in its longest length most of the year. But not at this time. At this time of the year, it's over 12 feet deep. Nobody can walk across. And it's over 300 feet wide. You're not going to get across. Now, so if, if, if you said, well, wait a minute, how did he get the spies across? Well, you can take a couple of your sturdiest swimmers and, and you could make them swim across and those men would make suitable spies. But you got to get all the people across and all the women and children across and everything you need and everything you have across. And you got to do it where it's 12 feet deep and 300 feet wide. And it's moving fast. It's going to sweep away the sturdiest swimmer. 
So you think, well, maybe Israel should chop, stop and chop like the umpteen trees around there and build a bunch of rickety barges and have a flotilla and try and bring everybody across. But that's going to make the Canaanites go, they're coming. Look at all the trees. And they would just set up their archers and go and sink those little rickety barges. And a few people that came across would get slaughtered because all the bad, bad guys would be waiting for them. Bad beach landing. So Joshua has a tremendous predicament. He knows exactly what God wants him to do, enter the promised land. He has absolutely no idea how he's going to get it done. And that brings us to our first point today on followership. Following God involves faith and faithfulness. Following God involves faith and faithfulness. Look again at verse 1. Early in the morning... Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shentim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. So when did Joshua get started in this God-given task? Early in the morning. Not at his leisure and pleasure. Not when he got around to it. Not when it was convenient. No, early in the morning, he and all of God's people went to do what God told him to do. Joshua was faithful to make God's agenda the very first priority of his life. Is that true for me and you, too? Joshua was faithful to do God's will, even when he didn't know how it was going to work out. You know, we like to do this, and it would have been really tempting for Joshua to, to be like us and say, well, I don't see how this is going to work, Lord. River's a flood stage, too many people, it's not going to work. So what I want you to do, God, is I want you to explain to me how this is going to work, and once you explain it to me, I'll decide if that seems reasonable to me, and then I'll decide whether I'm going to go obey. That's what we do a lot. We want God to explain everything to us so we can decide and be God when God has told us to do something. But Joshua simply did what God told him to do. The Israelites slept, set out from the comfortable acacia groves of Shittim. It was a nice place to be, and they're going to go into where it's not so nice to be. Uh, they went to the Jordan River, even though they had no idea how they're going to get across this impossible barrier. I want you to notice that following God involves faith. He didn't know how it was going to work. And it involved faithfulness. He was going to do the part God told him to do. You see that? The following God involves faith, and it involves faithfulness. He had to be the faith to trust and faithful to obey, even when he only really understood a small portion of God's plan. This is always going to be true for me and you as well. Anytime we're following God, it's always going to involve faith and faithfulness. You can look at any aspect of your Christian life, but let's just take witnessing. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the very ends of the earth. God says we're to go and make disciples. In the Hebrew, or excuse me, in the, in the Greek, that's as you're going, make disciples from Matthew 28. Literally, as you're going to work, as you're going home, as you're going to make dinner. So if you're at home with your kids, or maybe your grandkids, you have an opportunity to disciple them, to it, it, Make them understand the, the, the worth and worthiness of Christ and, and live in such a way that they want to follow Christ. Um, when you're at work and you've got subordinates, you can live in such a way that you impact them for Christ. When you have superiors at work, you can live in such a way that you impact them for Jesus Christ. You can also live in such a way where you don't, right? And sometimes Christians are the worst ambassadors for Jesus, and we're supposed to be the ambassadors. With your suppliers, with your customers, if you have a business, you can make disciples as you're going. Um, he didn't say be combative. He didn't say be disrespectful. He didn't say be overbearing in this. But the idea is we should share Christ in a Christ-like way. We should gently but clearly and consistently 
show people that we're with Jesus and we belong to Jesus and we are excited about Jesus. And that's simple things, you know, inviting people to church and perhaps offering to pray for someone who's hurting. It's not like really hard things. Now we know if you've been a Christian for like more than five minutes, somebody's introduced you to the Great Commission, right? And so like all Christians generally know this is what we're supposed to do. And yet when you talk to Christians, they get really embarrassed and they look at their shoes and stuff and we talk about this. <laughs> Why? Fear. We're afraid. We have a fear of man. We have, a, we have a fear of how people will view us. And that's why I want to remind you, following God always involves two things. Faith and faithfulness. And that's the cure to the fear that will keep you from being an effective and productive servant of Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay. Now I want you to look down at verse 8. The Lord says, Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Now, what's the problem with that theory? What's the problem with that plan? It's, yeah, the river's going. And, you know, and it's super high, super deep, and super far, and go stand in that. Now, if I told you to jump in a lake, you might not like me very much. <laughs> That's kind of what God is advising. Right. And so they're going, wait, what? We're going to take the most holy item we have, the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of the living God. And we're going to march that into the river. And you know what's going to happen? It's going to float away and we're going to be separated and we're going to be washed away. They have to be thinking, really, <laughs> that's your plan, God? No, you've never had that experience. Following God's been totally intuitive and made total sense to you. Right. You've never said your plan is to do what? They're thinking, we won't make it. We'll get up to our knees in the sea, and we will be swept away. I, I did mountain warfare training with the Marines. We went through rivers that were at this stage in the spring in California, and the mountains had released their snow, and you have five Marines, and they hold each other in their packs, and they have to turn. And these are fordable by Marines. These aren't 12 feet high. This is, this is just smaller things. And we're easily swept away as, as strong 20-year-olds when I looked like a Marine. Now I, you know, don't. <laughs> but there was a time when I did, and I could do that. And you're not going to get women and children across a 12-foot high, 300-foot across, rapidly moving stream. You're just not. So did you notice that God chose to lead the Israelites across the Jordan when it was most impossible? When it was most difficult? When it was least accessible, when it was least reasonable. And God often puts his people in seemingly impossible situations with utterly overwhelming options. Have you read the Bible? That seems to be everywhere you go. Hey, you're going to be a great nation. Nobody can have children. Like a whole bunch of them can't have children. Whatever the issue is, it seems like it's the most impossible way for that to be solved. Why does God do that? And I think it's for two reasons. One, so we could witness his ability and then give him the glory. He did it. We didn't do it. And number two, it comes to our passage today. God chose to lead the Israelites across the river when it was most impossible because it would enable his people to best exercise two things. Faith and faithfulness. Hmm. I want you to look at verse 13. As, as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand in a heap. Now the Jordan is at full flood stage during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carry the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, 
The water from upstream stopped flowing, and it piled in a great heap a great distance away at a town called Adam, where the water flowing down from the Sea of Arabah was cut off completely. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all of Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. So let's review. When did the floodwaters recede? Before or after they put their feet in the water? After. Could God have parted the Jordan River before they touched the water? Yes. In fact, did God ever have precedent for that? Yeah. When they crossed the Red Sea, the Red Sea parted and then they walked. But this time they had to get wet and hope they didn't die. Only then would the water part. Because in Joshua's day, the people of God were farther in their faith. And so this time, God sort of upped the ante in obedience and said, I'm going to make you put your foot in the water this time, and trust me that I'm going to make the water go away. You see, a good teacher notices a student's progress, and that teacher will progressively ask for more of his student, won't he? God is the master teacher, and as we grow in our walk with Jesus, God will graciously grow us into greater levels of faith and faithfulness. The tests sort of become harder the longer you're a Christian, but they also make us stronger the longer we're a Christian, if we pass those tests. Now imagine for a moment if God didn't do it this way. We often go, it's so hard to be a Christian. What I thought was hard 20 years ago in being a Christian is now much harder. <laughs> it's like, this gets harder. Have you felt that? Yeah. Well, imagine if God didn't disciple us this way. What that would mean is that each of us would one day arrive in our faith, and we would, we would have passed the test, and it wouldn't ever get hard again, and we would easily become proud and arrogant and eventually quite bored in the Christian life and, and much less turning to the Lord because we've got this now. You see how dangerous that would be as a Christian? But friends, God is many things in our walk, but allowing us to become bored is not one of those things he's permitting in our walk. And so if you're incredibly not bored in Zimbabwe in 2022 trying to walk with Jesus, that's probably intentional by the master teacher. So... God will give us times when he will invite us to follow him and he's going to make sure the river is at full flood stage, whatever that looks like in your life, your business, your family, your country, your world. The world's coming apart. The plan of God is coming together. Faith and faithfulness. Now, there will be times when the, when the raging river is only going to melt away when we muster the faith to be faithful and obey and let our slender sandals slip into the raging, rushing waters in front of us. And that's at the only point that God will then step in and dam up the water. But we like to wait, God, when you dam it up, I'll think about crossing. In fact, I might not even cross, because that seems like work too. And that's kind of biblically all wrong. That's not being a follower, that's being the leader. And God's the leader. God's the leader. So, my, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is we leave this idea of faith and faithfulness. Following God always requires faith and faithfulness. And no matter how long you've been a Christian, it seems like there's always something that requires faith and then faithfulness. One of my favorite verses is in Mark 9.24. And there's this man who has a, a demon-afflicted child. He's taken it to the disciples. The disciples couldn't help him. So he goes to Jesus and said, if you can help. And Jesus is like, if I can help? You know, everything's possible for God. And the man then responds with this little verse, and it's Mark 9, 24, and he said, Lord, I believe. He's bringing his kid to Jesus. And he says, help my unbelief. 
And I've often taken that to Jesus. Like, Lord, I believe. That's why I'm following you. That's why we're doing this. But you need to help my unbelief. Because right now, it's kind of unbelievable that this is going to work out. I'm going to do it, but I'm pretty sure if you don't show up, I'm going to get totally eaten alive here. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Following God involves faith and faithfulness. The second principle we see from this passage is that following God also involves submission and reverence. Submission and reverence. Uh, We're going to see this in verse 4, but I'll start in verse 2. After three days, the officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. But then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. Now here the Lord says this. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. So what's going to happen is the ark's going to go in, and the people of God are going to be about a thousand yards to the left and right of that as they cross. All the people are going to be on either side. And if you're a thousand yards away, you can see the ark, can't you? If you were real close, only the people real close could see the ark. So they're going to see that this is God doing this, not just with the waters holding back, but they're going to see the ark is there in the center while everyone passes by. When they glance back, they'll see the ark still there. Keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Verse 5, Joshua told the people, there's a verb there, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. So following God involves submission. We're to do what God says, the way God says it, when God says it. That's submission. God says, Sean, I want you to live this way. So we have the choice to submit to that. God says, Sean, I want you to think this way. And I don't think that way. So I've got to decide to metanoeo. That's the word for repent in the New Testament. And it literally means to change one's mind. I want this. I think this. I'm going to submit to how he wants me to think. But God wants me to speak this way. And that's not the way I want to speak in that situation. But God has invited me to do so. So we have to make the choice to submit. Now, submitting is not like you're submitting to some cosmic dictator. God is not a celestial killjoy who sadistically enjoys when we give up our will to his whim. It's not exactly what's happening. Following God involves submission because God loves us and he knows what's best. He knows if we do this, this is better for the plan of God and the servant of God. But the devil tells us, no, it's better (laughs) to give that person a piece of your mind than to speak in a way that builds others up according to their needs. Most of us have so little mind, we can't really spare it anyway. But do you know what I'm saying? Like God has a way, and you have a way you'd like to approach that person instead. Maybe it's just me. Maybe you're fine. Uh, The Israelites were to follow the ark and not find their own way across. They were to do it God's way. Follow the ark and do exactly what it's doing. Verse 4, because then you will know which way to go. Listen to this. Since you have not been this way before. I'd encourage you to underline that part of the Bible there in verse 4. Since you have never been this way before. There's a whole lot of our life that we have not been this way before, right? Let's just take one little area. Um, Let's say you want to be a wise parent. And you're a parent in 2022. Now, in 2022, your kids have phones, and the phones have all kinds of things, and how do I manage that? And they go to this school, and those kids have phones, and there's the internet, and there's all these influence that you didn't grow up with. And so how do you parent wisely when there's all these new things that you didn't have to deal with? And the answer is, you have not been this way before. Now, you may say, well, look, I, I've raised five kids. Okay, great. Um, 
I bet each of those kids has a little bit different personality. <laughs> I bet each of those kids has a little different proclivity to wander in a different way. One's super obedient, but not from the heart. One's not obedient at all, but their heart's in it if they're ever in it. And like, it's just, they're different, right? One's male, one's female, you know, when we still understood gender, you know, all that. And so even if you're talking about doing the same thing, parenting, and you have four other kids you've done it with, you still haven't been this way before. You know what you need? You need the Lord to guide you. You need the Lord to guide you because you have not been this way before. Now, what's true for the individual is true for the Christian congregation. How can we be salt and light in greater Harari in 2022? Well, if we simply ape and adopt what worked in 1972 or what worked in 19 or in 2002, we may find that some of that doesn't work anymore. Some of it will because it's timeless and some of it won't because it's not timeless. We have not been this way before. And so God always invites us to submit to his word that never changes and his spirit's leading. And that may guide us in ways slightly different than we did in practice before. God must lead us or we will be in a heap of trouble. We must pray fervently, we must study diligently, and we must submit willingly. And then we'll be all right because he is the leader. Now, the second part of this second point is this, that not only is it involving, is following always involves submission, but also that it involves reverence. It involves reverence. You see, I don't know if you knew this, but God is God, and we are not. That seems really obvious, but let's repeat it, because I think we get confused on it. God is God, and we are not. Now, often we like to come to God mostly to give him advice. <laughs> but we're not the best advisors. And he's open to listen to our petition, but he's also God, so he can veto it. Approaching God involved not just submission, but also reverence. The Israelites were to scrupulously maintain a distance of half a mile, roughly, from the ark. God was approachable, they could see him, but he was to be approached with a certain level of reverence. Some of you are old enough to remember when that was church, right? Church was very high on reverence. And, and we've kind of lost reverence. Now, that doesn't mean that God is unapproachable. I think there's a, there's a reverence that means God's far away. That's not biblical. But there's also kind of our day where, where God is sort of no longer revered or feared or esteemed in the way he is as God. And in our passage, there's this balance of submission and reverence. And submission uh, and reverence meant that the people had to consecrate themselves. It says it in the passage. There was a, a ceremonial washing of the garments and abstaining from intimacy from their spouses. Why? So that they were consecrating themselves. They were able to devote their time to getting their hearts right with God. Before they did this thing for God and took this big faith leap for God and went into the land, they were going to get their hearts right as they were about to make their hands work. And the reverence isn't just a holy distance. Reverence is also this call to consecration. Because God is holy, and many times we are not. Let's <laughs> just be honest, right? Uh, uh, God is intrinsically righteous. It's who he is. And, and i got to be honest with you, I'm not. And, and my suspicion is you're not. In fact, my certainty is you're not. Not just because I know you, because that's already told me. But the Bible told me. But uh, I've also met you. So, you know. <laughs> the issue here is God is God, and we are not. Therefore, we must consecrate ourselves from time to time. My suspicion is, if you've been in the average church in this age, you haven't heard a lot about reverence and consecration, have you? 
It hasn't gone away. We've just shied away. And so when I ask you, brothers and sisters, how is your consecration today? How is your reverence today? And how is your submission today? And if it's not where you think it ought to be, that's okay. I would encourage you not to try harder. I would encourage you to ask the Lord to give you his grace so you would better worship him in 2022 with a greater sense of reverence and submission and consecration through the power of the Holy Spirit. You're not going to do better by trying harder. You're going to do better through Christ in you, who's the hope of glory. Amen? Okay, so just as it's true that following God involves submission and reverence, we see point three today. Following God involves equipping and remembrance. Equipping and remembrance. Now we're in chapter four. And chapter four says this, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stayed tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men, and he appointed them from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, each of you, and take up a stone on his shoulders, a big Boulder, stone, big as you can carry, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And there's 12 of those. And this has a point, verse 6, to serve as a sign among you in the future. And when your children ask, hey, what do those stones mean? We're going to talk about why that was so obvious. Hey, what do those stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. And the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel. That was not a memorial so God would remember. He never forgets. It was a memorial so God's people wouldn't forget. Because we do. God can do something amazing in your life. And next Thursday you're going to say, but now what about this? I have this problem and he can't do that. And your children may not have yet seen what you experienced. And so therefore you need to tell them of how God worked in your life. The best people you have to disciple are the people closest to you. And there's nobody closer than your children, your grandchildren, your spouse. You see? So when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones were to be a memorial to the people of Israel Forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. So one of the things we see here is that following God involves remembrance. God ordered that his people haul 12 stones from the middle of the raging river, and they were to carry those stones to where they camp, which is a place called Gilgal, which is kind of far from the, from the river's edge. I want you to understand the topography of Israel. You haven't had a chance to be there. So you go to Israel, there's like these jagged rocks in the middle of the wilderness, right? So if you go over to, to the balancing rocks of Zimbabwe, it catches your attention, right? Because you, you're not used to rocks doing that, right? So you go to Israel and you see like these jagged rocks in the wilderness and stuff. You're at Gilgal and it's not a place. And then there's 12 smooth rocks. Now that doesn't happen because how are the rocks smooth? from a raging river for many, many years, and they smoothed the rocks. Now you walk around, you say, jagged rock, jagged rock, jagged rock, here's one. They're just over here, they're over there. They're not like neatly spaced out in a garden like you made your gardener at Tafazo, put that there, put that there. These are just rocks. They're just wherever. And then there's 12 that are stacked up that clearly somebody put there, and they're totally unlike all the other rocks. They're not only stacked symmetrically, but they are smooth. Smooth by water, but there is no water in Gilgal. And so somebody walks by and they go, hey, what happened? 
And every Israelite was then able to tell their children, their grandchildren, their friends, their neighbors, people that crossed through. You know what happened there? God happened there. Those stones are from the middle of the Jordan River. And God parted it in the middle of the flood stage when we couldn't pass. And that's how we ever got into this land. And they could do that for generations. Now, I want you to understand to do this was cumbersome. They're crossing the land. They're coming into the land. All the people are coming across. And when they decide, okay, now go back over there, have one person pick a guy, one from each tribe, have him go back to where the priests are, pick up a stone from the middle and bring it across and bring it all to the Gilgal. You can go faster if you don't pick up a boulder and schlep it to Gilgal and tediously set it in a nice little uh, pattern together. You know what God wasn't concerned about? Efficiency. You know what God was concerned about? Their memory. God wasn't concerned about how fast they did it. He was concerned about their remembrance of him in it. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we remember the most beautiful act the world has never known, ever known. And we sang about it, that Christ has regarded my helpless estate. He has shed his own blood for my soul. And sometimes when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it elongates the time of our service, doesn't it? And sometimes we get nervous when we look at our watch and we've had a sermon and we're going to have the Lord's Supper. And we're not going to beat the Presbyterians to the potluck. And they're going to get seated first. <laughs> you don't have that worry, but that unspiritual person next to you does, right? You see it. They get all agitated. There are times when in order for us to have remembrance, it's going to require inconvenience. It's not going to be efficient, but it is important. Does that make sense? You need to remember that uh, in these things. The other thing is when, when we're talking about remembering, you have to do something intentional or we will forget. We're a forgetting people. And so have you made a memory marker of the significant events of the Lord in your life? And if you haven't, I would encourage you, here's one way you could do it. You don't have to do it this way, but how do you add remembrance in your life? You might decide to do as grandma or mom or dad, let's take all the times God answers prayers this year. So we're going to pray for certain things. And when God answers those prayers, we're going to write it on a slip of paper. June 6, 2022, God answered this prayer. We needed this and God did this and he did it. And you stick it in a little jar and a jar, maybe somewhere that everyone sees, like in your dining room or whatever. And then I would encourage you at Christmas, open the jar and have every child, grandchild read one of the ways that God answered prayer that year, because you know what that's going to make you do as you think about Jesus at Christmas and they're all there because you got presents, they're coming. <laughs> You're going to help them remember that God answers prayer. But I'm going to tell you, if you don't do something intentional, you're going to forget God did it, and they're not going to know about it. And you wonder, how come my kids aren't as excited about God? Well, maybe we haven't told them who this God is, who was so impactful to us. Following God not only involves remembrance, but it also involves equipping. Why were the Israelites to go out of their way to remember? Well, the Bible says in chapter 4 and verse 6, to serve as a sign among you, in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. This was to equip the people of God to understand the power and presence of God. We are called to equip others. Um, Ephesians 4 says, my job as your preacher today is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. If you're a Christian husband, Ephesians 5 says your job is to equip your wives by, by loving them as Christ loved the church and by washing them in the word of God. 
Uh, Ephesians 5 then says, if you're a Christian wife, your job is to equip your husband by by submitting to Christ and one another and, and being careful to make your marriage not a battleground, but rather solid ground in what is otherwise a shaky world. Ephesians says, if you're here today and you're a Christian parent, that your job is to equip your kids by not being an overbearing over exasperating them, but but by consciously and consistently and conscientiously training them in Christ's likeness. All of those passages for all of those people here today are all about equipping. Equipping. We need to equip folks today so there's a church tomorrow. If we wait to equip people when we get around to it, we'll never get around to it. And one day we'll wonder why there are no people equipped to serve in the church of Jesus Christ in our day. But we have to train them today so they're here tomorrow should the Lord's return not be today or tomorrow. So far in Joshua 3, we've demonstrated that following God involves faith and what was the other thing? Faithfulness. And we saw that it involves submission and Reverence. And we saw that it involves uh, equipping and remembrance. And they rhymed. You got them all. Very good. (laughs) Now, what happens if we do these things? So the first three principles we saw from the text today tell us what we're to do, how it works, what followership is, and the mechanics. Now, I want to spend very briefly, the last part of the sermon is very quick. I want to spend the last few points on what is the result when we follow well. When we do those things, when we follow in faith and faithfulness, submission and reverence, and equipping and remembrance, what is the result? And at least three wonderful, beautiful, biblical results happen when the people of God obey the king. And the first one is this, that faithful following, this is point four today, faithful following fosters esteem before God and man. If you faithfully follow the Lord Jesus Christ in 2022, you will, as a natural byproduct, you will gather esteem before God and man in your life. Look at 3.7. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, that is in the eyes of the people, so they may know I am with you as I was with Moses. You ever met somebody and towards the end of their life, somebody says that man walked with God. That woman was a woman of of God. You know how? Because as they were faithful to follow, God was faithful to exalt them in the eyes of man. Now, if you look at uh, chapter 4 and verse 14, we see it again. And that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they revered him all the days of his life, just like they had revered Moses. I want you to notice Joshua didn't part this river. Unlike Moses who lifted up his staff, Joshua didn't do anything. It was the priests who had to step in the water, and yet Joshua was faithful to follow, and then God esteemed Joshua before the people. Now, the goal is never for the follower to want his own elevation. The goal is always, I want to be faithful. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But if you do follow faithfully, your goal is to honor Jesus, and Jesus has a way of honoring us because he's that gracious. The byproduct of faithful following is almost always esteem. Shouldn't be your goal, but it is often the byproduct. If it's your goal, if it's your goal to look important at church and among the community, you fall into the trap of Ananias and Sapphira. 
in Acts chapter 5. Their goal wasn't to honor Jesus. Barnabas' goal was. Okay? His name was not Barnabas. He had a different name. And he sold some land and didn't have to sell that land. And the church was like, wow! And they called him son of encouragement. That's what Barnabas means. And the church was like, we are so... Praise God for this gift that helps all these people. And Barnabas is such a wonderful person. And Ananias and Sapphira saw that, and they had some stuff they could sell. <laughs> and instead of giving it to the Lord, they didn't have to give it all to the Lord. They could have given just a little bit. They gave some of it and pretended they gave all of it because they wanted to climb the ladder in church. And uh, they were dead wrong in that approach. Read the story. That pun will make sense. But it's also true if your goal is to honor Jesus, Jesus is so loving and gracious that he's willing to honor you. Generally speaking, people who walk with God their whole life are often revered, even by lost people, for honoring God their whole life. Now, they may get ridiculed along the way. They may have it difficult along the way. But I've stood at their funerals, and I've had people who didn't like them <laughs> or people who didn't know the Jesus they knew, and they said, that was a different woman. That was a different man. That person walked with and you know, we see this in Jesus, the person who most faithfully followed the Heavenly Father in all the Bible is our example, Jesus Christ. And in Luke chapter 2, the Bible says Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. As Jesus did whatever the Father wanted, whenever the Father wanted, he grew in wisdom and stature and honor with God and with man. So one result of being faithful is that God will esteem us, generally speaking, before God and man. The second thing is that faithful following also fosters uh, God being elevated among the lost. If we follow faithfully today, we will elevate the name of God amongst people who need to know God. Look at 423. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. And the Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we crossed over. And here it is, verse 24. God did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. Remember, the waters stacked up 20 miles away, made this huge lake in the middle of nowhere, held back by nothing. The hand of God held it back supernaturally. And higher up is Jericho. They're looking down. What did they see? They see the Israelites crossing at full flesh. They said, one thing we know, we're safe until the river recedes. We may have a problem with this army that wants this land and their God's given it to them, but they can't get across the Jordan. The Jordan will protect us. We're good until the river recedes. And how do you think all the Canaanites processed the data when the river was held miraculously back in a massive lake and everybody walked across when they couldn't? Well, we know in the story in Joshua, it says that our hearts have melted like wax and we know that the Lord has given you this land. So friends, if, uh, if faithful following fosters God being elevated among the lost, that means that if we faithfully follow, people are going to see Jesus and not just us. They'll see Jesus and not just us. If we faithfully follow Christ, the natural product is that we irresistibly point people to Christ, the only one worth following. And that brings us to the last uh, point today. Faithful following fosters God being elevated among the saved. Faithful following fosters God being elevated among the saved. Look at verse 24. 
God did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you, God's people, might always fear the Lord your God. God did this so that God's people might always fear the Lord your God. So if Kingsmead wants to be a church that has a high view of God, a church that revels in the marvels of the Savior, you're not going to get there by being lukewarm, carnal, nominal, half-hearted, But if we faithfully follow, we can best ensure that Christ is lifted high and up and we become a light shining on a hill here in this community, in Harare, and in all of our circles of influence. We have to make that choice, don't we? Nobody can make it for us. Now, I can preach my guts out, but you have to live it out because you have been providentially placed in a sphere of influence. You're going to go to Spar this week, and you're going to meet a checker that I don't know. You're going to go to Pick and Pay, and I'm going to be over at this place. You're going to go to your job, but I'm going to be over there. But you're going to be there, and you are his ambassador, and you are his witness. So as you're going, make disciples. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would give us great faith to follow your leading. Grant us great faithfulness to act on that leading. We believe that this passage has showed us that at the very first core principle, that following involves faith and faithfulness. And the Bible tells us faith is a gift. So we ask that you would gift us with greater faith in 2022. That leads to greater faithfulness because it's one thing to believe, but it's another thing to walk in that belief. And the demons believe, but they don't honor you, James tells us. So Lord, give us a true faith because true faith will work. Please, Lord, help us to submit to your lordship. We call you Lord, Lord. And that means that you're the Lord. (laughs) And so help us to submit to your lordship in our thinking, in our living, in our speaking. Lord, we ask that you help us to revere you because you are the one true God, and we are not. We ask that you would make our church an equipping church that we would be actively making disciples, inviting you to give us opportunities to shine for you and to point people to you. And and so part of that, Lord, is to make us a remembering church that recounts your faithfulness and goodness. So help us to figure out how to do that better and more tangibly in 2022. And we ask all this so that you might be elevated among your people And that more importantly, you might be elevated among the watching world and that they might come to know you as we have and how good it is to walk with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
to see.